0: Please stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's holy word, Romans 8. This will be our final message on the golden chain, Romans 8, 28 through 30. Here now the reading of God's holy word. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Thus far the reading of God's inspired word. May the Lord bless us in the reading and hearing of it and in the consideration of it to follow. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, open our eyes, open our hearts, help us to receive the truth as it is in Jesus, especially concerning the glory of God given to your people. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We come to the golden chain part 9, the glorification of the church, the second part of that consideration, and the third overall of glorification here spoken of. We looked last week at Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, up through 2 Corinthians 3, verses 15 through 18. We saw that glorification in the New Testament Uh, When it comes to the church, God is the source. Christ is the mediator of glorification. It comes to us through him. And we also saw that when we have glory that comes from God, that excludes glory that comes from men. If we seek for glorification from men, we will not have the glorification that comes from God. And vice versa. If we have the glory that comes from God, we will not seek after the glory that comes from men. As with Christ's glorification, so with ours. Suffering comes before glory, the cross before the crown. Now we'll continue in consideration of the New Testament doctrine concerning the glorification of the church. Please open to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians 4 verses 3 through 6, page 1166 of your pew Bibles. Starting there at verse 3 For if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Here notice the gospel concerns the glory of God. We see that there in verse 4. It is the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. Now Normally in the Bible, when you read the word glory, you're often going to hear about light. Sometimes you'll hear about lifting up, but sometimes and generally speaking, it has to do with a shining light, the idea of a glory or the reflected light. Notice here in verse four, we have two of those images. The light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the what? Image. Remember how man Is the image and glory of God and the woman is the glory of the man she reflects the light of the man she reflects his image as the man reflects the image of God himself but here notice in a particular way Jesus Christ is the image of God and when the gospel is preached a glorious gospel that it is what does it tell us about Jesus, the image of God, the reflection of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, as we see here in verse 6. So we note that the glory that comes to us is the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's where we get the glory from. It is from Christ, the image of God. It is from the Father who caused it to shine as he did at the beginning when he said, let there be light. So he causes that light to shine unto us so that we might be saved. Look down at verses 16 and 17 on the same page. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Notice here, God is working glory in us. Christ is the cornerstone. He is the foundation of it all. He is the face which we behold in the gospel that shines unto us. But God has also designed the way of sanctification. And on this path of sanctification, God causes a mortification of our sins so that the inward man might be renewed day by day. In fact, he says we have afflictions, but he says two things about them. One, they are light. Two, light meaning not heavy, whereas glory is a heaviness, kavod in Hebrew means a heaviness, a weightiness. Here notice, this affliction is not weighty, This affliction is light that we experience in this life. And how long do our afflictions last? If you were afflicted for your entire life of 80 years, let's say, that is but for a moment. Because how long is eternity? It goes on forevermore. So here he says, the weight of glory as opposed to the lightness of afflictions, those very afflictions which are light and temporary, they accomplish in God's economy an exceeding eternal weight of glory. Far more than anything you're ever going to experience, your worst life now, maybe that should be the title of a book, your worst life now, your afflictions Your troubles, your sorrows, your miseries are but working for you an exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Please turn over to Philippians chapter 3, page 1186 of your Pew Bibles. Philippians 3. We'll read verses 18 through 21. Verse 18, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the work whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Notice here, when we talk about the glory of men, What do men glory in? This is why you can't have the glory of God and the glory of men. Notice here, what do they glory in? Verse 19 tells us, whose glory is in their shame. The things that they ought to be ashamed of, they boast in. They lift them up and they say, look at these creatures. Aren't they glorious? Don't the accolades of these creatures impress you? No. God says, they do not. They're not impressive in the least. Rather, they're enemies of the cross of Christ, and they ought to be ashamed of their belly God and the destruction that's coming. Their mind is upon earthly things, he says. Now, in context, he's talking about those who deny the gospel because of circumcision. They want the people to be circumcised. They want them to go back to the ceremonies of the law. You'll see this in verse 2. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God by all the ceremonies. No, in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. What was his old confidence? Well, it was... He was circumcised on the eighth day, he says. He was of the stock of Israel. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. Try naming your tribe. And Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law of Pharisee. I did all the right things. I knew all the Talmudic things. I knew all of the legal teachings and I observed them being circumcised the eighth day, the most orthodox of Jews. This is what he's talking about. Their end Is destruction their god is their belly they exalt the things that they ought to be ashamed of he says so the glory that comes from men is incompatible with the glory that comes from God but notice more more to the point he says our conversation where are we citizens where is it that we have our polituma where is our polis on the earth no it is in heaven From whence, he says, we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What is that a reference to? Christ's return, isn't it? When Christ went up into heaven, what did the angels say? You shall see him return in like manner. He's going to come in clouds with angels, in other words. He's going to come bodily in his own flesh. And what's going to happen on that day? He shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. When you compare the body of our state of sin and death, it is vile with that state of glorious resurrection life that Christ enjoys. His body has a glory to it. It is a glorious or a glorified body. And what will happen to us at that last day is we shall have glorious bodies as well. The almighty power of Jesus Christ, who commanded the winds and the waves, who commanded sickness and uncleanness to depart from people, who raised the dead, who said in the beginning, let there be light and there was light. He shall submit our bodies to his glorious power. This is our glorification in our bodies. Please turn over to Colossians chapter 3, just a few pages over. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for... Ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Notice, the glory of Jesus Christ will cause us to have what? We will appear with him in what? In his glory. We shall reflect the glory of Jesus Christ And because that future thing is our hope, he says, what are we to do right now? If we are risen with Christ and we anticipate a future resurrection of bodies, what should we seek? Where should our hearts be? Where should our affections be? On the things of the earth? He says, no, not there. Rather, those things where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, those are the things that should move us. Those are the things that our souls should go out to. Those are the things that our minds should be set upon. Christ will come in glory to judge the living and the dead And we shall appear with him in his glory, being raised from the dead, our bodies being made like unto his glorious body. He shall transform our vile bodies. And think of that, the body rotted in the grave, vile and disgusting, eaten by worms and yet raised to everlasting life with immortality, a glorious hope set before us. And so a heavenly seeking, a heavenly glory, a heavenly hope. Please turn over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, page 1195 of your pew Bibles. 2 Thessalonians 2, we'll read verses 13 and 14. The Bible says things that mere men would never say. The Apostle Paul has just finished talking about the black chain of reprobation and God's decreeing people to destruction and sending them strong delusions so that they would be damned. And then, verse 13 But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, what kind of glory does Jesus Christ have? Well, remember, the face of Jesus Christ, the image of God, shines into our hearts in the gospel. And when the gospel is preached, When the gospel is declared, Christ and Him crucified is declared, Christ as the image of God, Christ as the face that shines unto us as the first light shone on the first day of creation. That is the obtaining, that is what we gain, that is what we come to possess in the gospel, the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whose glory? Christ's glory how do we receive it how do we obtain it by the gospel itself God by his grace communicates the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ to us through the gospel please turn over to 2nd Timothy chapter 2 page 1201 2nd Timothy 2 verses 8 through 12 You will notice that the glory of God's people is generally spoken of around the resurrection of Christ or their own resurrection. Verse eight, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. But the word of God is not bound Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying. For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Notice here. A few things. First is the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the gospel that Paul preached, that God raised him from the seed of David. Christ Jesus came and was raised from the dead. Paul, though suffering even unto bonds, says the word of God is not bound. And so he endures all that he suffered, Paul says. Why? For the sake of the elect. What was the goal? What was the outcome that Paul suffered for? So that all the elect may obtain what? Two things, he says. Salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He wanted the elect to all obtain these things that God had predestinated them unto, as we saw in Romans 8 predestination, calling, justification, glorification, right? All joined together in one chain. Here he says the same thing. God has chosen them from before the foundation of the world so that they may obtain salvation, but God uses means to call them, Paul being one of them, as a minister of the gospel, suffering evil as if he were a criminal when all he did was bring the elect the gospel. But what did they obtain? Salvation which is in Christ Jesus. Deliverance from the wrath of God. Justification, adoption, sanctification. This is the idea here. All the benefits that come in Christ Jesus. And one of those benefits is glory that goes on forevermore. Not a resurrection to a temporary state like Adam's where we die again. No, a resurrection that goes on forevermore. So much for that first resurrection when Christ returns and then people die and go back into dust. No, this is eternal glory that comes with the resurrection of God's people. Please open to Hebrews chapter 2, page 1207. Hebrews chapter 2, we'll read verses 8 through 10. Verse 8. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him, but we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of god should taste death for every man for it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings notice how did christ get the crown of glory that he obtained well he had to suffer didn't he first He was brought into subjection to the Father. He was made a little lower than even the angels that he made so that he might suffer and have a passion of death and then crowned with glory and honor. And God says in this scripture, That he, as the captain of the ship, the captain of the army, the leader of all the forces of God, he had to suffer before he rose again and was glorified. And so as Christ brings us to glory, we follow the same footsteps. Christ suffered first, then he entered into his glory, verse 9 tells us. So Christ accomplishes the glorification of his children in precisely the same way. This is the pathway marked out for us. Christ the firstfruits, we the rest. Please turn over to 1 Peter 1, page 1222, verses 6 through 9. 1 Peter 1. 6 through 9. Verse 6. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Here, notice a few things. First, Christ's work of purifying us. Now, glory is a shining of a thing, a light that reflects. And when you first see, when someone would process gold or silver, you will see the ore. You will see little veins that shine among that heap of uh, uh, invaluable material, things that are not that great. They don't shine with the luster of gold, but you might see little specks or sparkles of it. But as the flame heats up the entire mass, what happens? All of those things that don't have glory, all of those things that will not shine, all of those things that do not have value, we call them dross, they burn off. And you'll notice he uses that exact analogy. That's the trial of the gold. When it undergoes the heat, when it undergoes the temptation or the testing, this is needful, he says, and God deems it so. And so he causes the fire to increase. The trial of your faith being much more precious than gold. What's going to happen when all the trials are done? When the fire has ceased and all of the judgment is finished? What's going to happen? Christ is going to be glorified in his saints. His image will be reflected in his people. He will have praise. He will have honor and glory When he appears again, he will be admired of all them that believe. And so, in this very time, as we anticipate, what sort of joy does he say we have as we anticipate the glory of Christ in his people? A glory and praise and honor to him. We have a joy that is unspeakable and full of what? Glory. We have the glorious joy of the gospel knowing that Jesus Christ will transform us once and for all and he will be glorified in that resurrection and we as his people will reflect his glory and his image. So we rejoice with a joy that has been glorified itself. Let us look over at chapter 5 of Peter concerning the glorification of the church. 1 Peter 5, verses 10 and 11, page 1226. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now notice here, God, Peter says, is the God of all grace. If there's any grace that we have, where did it come from? God himself. Now this very God of all grace, he called us. This is exactly what Romans 8 talks about. Whom he called, he justified. Whom he justified, he glorified. All grace is from God our Father. But notice, he called us unto his eternal glory. How? By a mediator, by a high priest, by a savior, even Jesus Christ. His effectual call and the glorification of his saints is mediated through his Son alone. And note... God causes us to suffer for a little while. Again, you'll notice, God always links up the sufferings of God's people with the glory that is to follow, so that we do not lose heart. In fact, we'll see this when we look at the rest of Romans 8. What's he going to talk about? All the big mansions we're going to get, all those private jets, stacks of gold and silver, worldly glory, pleasures that never end. Is that what he talks about? No. Famine, nakedness, peril, and sword. That's what he's going to talk about. And he's going to say that in the midst of those very circumstances, those tribulations, we are hyper-conquerors, more than conquerors. But notice here, after that ye have suffered a little while. You know, it's just like Paul said. Temporary, but for a moment, light and transitory. Then he says, God by his grace, will give us that eternal glory and make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Now these are all in what is known as the optative mood. That is where a thing is wished for that at the time it is wished for does not seem to be the case, but it shall be in due time if a power great enough can accomplish it. It is the choice of the author that these things would happen to the people of God. And how is God going to do it? How is he going to establish us in eternal glory? How is he going to do it but by these sufferings for a little while? So we see here that God called us to his eternal glory by his effectual calling through his Son. And this wish and blessing of perfection of establishing strengthening and settling us by God himself is worked out for the glory of almighty God verse 11 to him be glory and dominion our glorification glorifies God himself now look down at second peter on the same page chapter 1 verses 2 through 4 grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of god and of jesus our lord according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Notice, when God calls us in the gospel with the knowledge of Jesus Christ and of God himself, when the power of God comes to work, what does he call us unto? Glory and virtue. You see this. The gospel calls the people of God to this eternal glory and also to the pathway that leads there, which is not merely suffering, but the path of virtue, the path of transformation and holiness, the path of growth in grace and knowledge. Now we'll look at one final passage. Please open to Revelation chapter 21 concerning the glorification of Christ's church, of his bride of his city page 1252 of your pew bibles revelation chapter 21 we'll read verses 9 through 11 starting at verse 9 and there came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues and talked with me saying come hither I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal." Did you notice there what the bride had in verse 11? What did she have as she came down out of heaven? She had the glory of God. And of course, when you hear the word glory, what do you think? Well, shining, isn't it? There's some kind of light. Her light was like unto a stone, most precious, glistering, gleaming, beautiful, and what? Glorious. But whose glory was it? It was the glory of God himself reflected off of his church. Look down at verse 22. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. Why? For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb, who is, by the way, the glory of God, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Note, Christ is the glory of his church. The glory of God's people is merely a reflective glory from her spouse from her husband, from the Lamb, whose wife she is. It is a borrowed, it is a reflected glory. I note then these doctrines and exhortations first. The church's glory is through Christ. It lasts forever and is reflected. The church's glory is through Christ. It lasts forever and is a borrowed or reflected glory. Now notice also, this is the end of the calling and salvation of God's people. It's the goal to which God brings us, glorification. In exhortation from this doctrine then, let this future hope of glory infuse us with hope. This is perhaps when we read the book of Ruth and Naomi, some of her bitterness. This could explain it. When people lose hope, they become bitter. They become shriveled. They become self-seeking because they cannot see beyond the horizon. What does God do with the glory that we have been promised? He raises our eyes where? Up to heaven where Christ is seated at the right hand of God where he's gone as the forerunner. Let this future hope of glory infuse us with the mind of Christ, with the seeking of those things which are above and not those things upon the earth. Let us not love the world, but those things which are above, where Christ is seated at God's right hand. A second doctrine. Because the church's glory is through Christ, because it is borrowed and reflected, the church's glory exalts God's grace, his wisdom, his power, goodness, and love. Remember, it is the glory of God by which the church shines. It's God's. It comes from him he is our glory he is the thing in which we boast because he is our salvation and our glory the rock of our strength and our refuge is in God as we saw in Psalm 62 God is our glory He is to be exalted in the glorification of the church. God will be admired when the saints are glorified. Christ will be honored and praised and glorified when we are raised from the dead. Let us, as the church, exalt God's grace, his wisdom, his power, his goodness, his love, because that's how we will be glorified. Let us, then, in exhortation, do this glorif- glorification with our whole soul. Let us seek his praise. Let us do his will. Let us exalt his wisdom. Let us talk of his power. Let us bask in his love. Do this consciously, in other words. It's so easy to fall into the trap of glorifying ourselves of thinking of our own righteousness our own wisdom our own abilities what we think we deserve what does god call us to live for my glory your momentary afflictions are light what do they work for you An exceeding an eternal weight of glory they're not light these glories of god they're not temporary they're eternal Let us be aware of this. Let us say to the glory of God, to his exaltation comes my life now and forevermore, whether I suffer, whether I am full, whether I am empty. As Paul said, how did he learn to be content? By keeping his mind on this glory promised to us in the gospel, secured by the Savior Jesus Christ as a motivation for us to live to the glory of God. And thus far, the golden chain and the glorification of Christ's church.